anybody was diagnosed with a major medical dilemma or they were going through some sort of traumatic event in their life, a familiar thing would always happen. It was very well intentioned words by Christians. We, we call it encouragement. We try to encourage. And if you linger around long enough in, in Christian conversations, you'll hear this encouragement come out. And, and, and I'm not trying to say that people don't need to be encouraged during these times. We, we do need to be encouraged during these times. But what I've noticed uh, in 20 years of ministry is that there is a good portion of people that they mean to be encouraging. And it's meant to be helpful but in reality some of the things that they're saying walk you walk away and it's actually quite painful it sometimes doesn't make things better in reality if you're not careful what you say as a christian to another christian it can actually be quite discouraging And I believe the Apostle Paul knew exactly what he was talking about when he gave some simple advice. When when people are going through things and, and you're ministering to one another, as he said, weep with those that weep. Be there in the moment with them. But not only is the encouraging talk sometimes biblically incorrect, but I believe what's most disturbing as a pastor, than all, and it's, it's happened to me from, from people, is the unsolicited advice called the happy talk. It's happy talk of what I call it. The, the talk that people will come to you and they'll try to assure you it's your medical dilemma and this traumatic occurrence that you're going through in your life is really truly a blessing in disguise. <laughs> An essential part of God's greater plan and His wonderful plan for your life. Don't worry, what you're going through is in God's greater plan. And I've never really quite understood happy talk. Because I have found that if it's truly this huge blessing, then here you take my medical dilemma. (laughs) You take my traumatic experience and you have it. And I find the people that have this happy talk, they're not quick to embrace what I'm going through. Amen? They're not quick to embrace my cancer. They're not quick to embrace my heartache. They're not quick to embrace all of the things that I'm going through. And, and here's how the happy talk is phrased. It really all means the same thing. Maybe you have said it and that's okay. At least, you know what, after today we won't be so ignorant. But, but here's the deal. It says, some people say, you'll be glad that this happened. Anybody ever said that to you? Oh, you'll be so glad that this happened. Some Someday, you'll look back and you'll be glad that this happened. Or, 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 or this one. Oh, brother, God must be up to something in your life. How many of you ever received that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, how about um, God doesn't make mistakes. So this is happening for a purpose. All right, all right. You must be very special and God must trust you with this thing that you're going through. Or won't it be great to know how God has used this in your life? Or wrap them all up, it's pretty packaged into one sentence. Isn't it good to know that everything happens for a reason? And we say these things, and you know what? It, it is happy talk, and it, it can be encouragement. And in one sense, this happy talk and encouragement is absolutely right. No matter what happens in your life, good or bad, God is in control. Amen? Amen. 
He is still the king of the universe. He is still a good, good father. But that does not mean that God is the direct cause of everything that happens in your life. It doesn't mean that everything that happens is even something that he wants to happen. And it certainly doesn't mean that everything he allows is necessarily good. Are you hearing me? So let's prove it this morning with a couple of examples just to to let you know some things that, that God did not do. God did not cause Lucifer to rebel. Right? God did not cause Eve to eat the forbidden fruit. We learned last week that God did not cause David to sleep with Bathsheba. God did not kill Abel. God did not build the Tower of Babel. God did not take the crowd and make them say Barabbas. God did not take the Roman soldiers and make them kill Jesus. Those who carried out these evil deeds bear the full responsibility of their evil actions and none of it can be blamed on God. So I guess the idea is where do we get this happy talk from? Because most of the lies that God causes everything to happen for a reason comes from two things. Number one, I think it's just wishful thinking. But two, I think it's really interpretation of Scripture. And in this case, this one particular Scripture, Romans 8.28. Now, here's the deal. Is this verse probably gets most misquoted more than any other verse. Misquoted by Christians and misquoted by non-Christians. And those that are Christians that may have never even opened up their Bible, we quote this time after time. And, and I group people that quote this and say, oh, this is happening for a reason and everything's going to work out because God is there. I believe they're, they're a crowd that we can label everything's going to be good if you wait long enough crowd. I think we can just call them. Just wait long enough, everything's going to be good crowd. But here's the deal. Romans 8.28 doesn't say that. And Romans 8.28 doesn't really mean what we think it means. And, and here's the other thing. Is Romans 8.28 doesn't apply to all of us in this room. It's awfully quiet in here. It only applies to a small percentage of people. So let's look at what Romans 8.28 actually says. Now, those of you that are King James lovers, that's okay. I'm not coming after King James, but there are flaws with it. In the Shakespearean English, it says, We know that all things work together for the good. When you read it that way, it can be misleading. We know that all things work together for the good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. But the accurate interpretation is we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him and who've been called according to His purpose. See, what we've got to understand is on the surface, the Shakespearean English, the interpretation there, seems to apply that everything that is happening is a part of God's greater plan. That your life is just a giant jigsaw puzzle and if you just wait long enough, no matter what bad things happen in your life, no matter what good things happen in your life, if you just wait long enough, finally God's going to put all the pieces together and it'll all just make sense. And it appears to say that given enough time, everything that happened proves to have happened for a reason And it's all good. Even if that bad thing is, it's all good. But see, that's an unfortunate translation. 
because that was the English back in the 1600s. I don't speak Shakespearean English. I don't want to learn Shakespearean English. And I don't even want to read Shakespearean English. Okay? I have nothing against the King James Version. It's just not the version that I prefer. I don't even know the language. But what I do know is language has changed over time. Okay? 400 years ago, in the King James Version, charity meant love. Now when you say charity, you think, okay, i got to give to an organization. Right? Back when I was little, if I called you a dope, my mama would wash my mouth out with soap. Now I say dope, and some of you think of marijuana, and some of you are like, I don't even know what dope means. <laughs> Language has changed over time. Are you with me? So the more accurate reading of Romans 8.28 is in the modern English, which reads, we know that in all things God works for the good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Now notice the difference. It doesn't say that everything that happens is good. The bad things that are happening in your life, that's good. That's God's plan. You just hang out and everything's going to be okay. It simply says that God is at work in all things. In other words, the enemy is going to throw shots at you. Life is going to throw shots at you. So the enemy and life, oh, it can ring it up. It can throw its best shot at you, but it will never thwart God's ultimate plan for your life. God will accomplish His good purpose in your life no matter what. But that's a far cry from saying that everything happens. This bad thing that happens, obviously God is letting this bad thing happen because there's a purpose in it and God's doing this to me. Are you hearing me? That's a far cry from saying God is in this and He's going to work this thing out for the good. So those that pin every disease... Every financial disaster, every betrayal, every bad thing that you can possibly imagine, as the direct action of God, you're headed down a logically indefensible path. Are you hearing me? Now notice something else the scripture says. Again, it's not a promise for everybody. It's not a promise for every Christian. It's a promise for a specific kind of Christian. One who meets two important criteria. The verse is for someone, number one, who loves God, but number two is called according to his purpose. And we could all say, oh, I love God and I'm called according to his purpose. But according to Jesus Christ and the writers of the New Testament, those who love God are those who obey his commandments. Those who are called according to his purpose are those that have become disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, which leaves out a lot of Christians. Well, how could you say that? Look, it it leaves out a lot of people. Let's just deal with that and then we'll go to Christians. It leaves out the co-worker down the hall from your office that just had a baby and found out that the baby has autism. They're not serving the Lord. God loves her, okay? God has a preferred future for her life if and when she turns to Jesus. But Romans 8.28 has nothing to do with her present heartache. You hearing me? It also leaves out that nice guy next door. You know the one that you've been inviting to church over and over again? (laughs) You're like, I don't invite nobody to church. The one that you should be inviting to church over and over again? (laughs) The one that you should be witnessing to and telling about Jesus? Oh, he's a good guy, but he lost his job just three weeks ago and he's getting married in four. And then you go to see him and, and you knock on the door because you're consistently inviting him to Northfield and always trying to lead him to the Lord. And in order to make both of you happy, 
you're, you're like, God must have something better in plan for you. God must have something in store for you. Well, it makes you feel better and him feel better. And there's a lot of wishful thinking in it. But God makes no such promise to him if he doesn't serve the Lord. <laughs> then it leaves out some Christians. Especially if you're living in high-handed disobedience in some area of your life. This is not a blanket promise to everybody. It's not a blanket promise that I can live in disobedience and God will step in and fix it. And God will step in and, 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 and rearrange the mess that my defiance in His Word has created. And I have lived long enough to understand that the consequences of our sin can be brutal. Even when I'm in the presence of God, the consequences of sin, regardless of God's grace, regardless of God's mercy, can be brutal. You don't believe me? Ask David. We learned last week that after he had the marital affair with Bathsheba, yes, he repented. God, our God forgave David. And sure, he was still used by God. He wrote scripture. Jesus quoted it. And yes, something great came out of their union. They birthed the king. They birthed Solomon. But all in all, it would would have been far better if he would have never slept with that woman. Why? Because of his sin, the firstborn died. Because of the sin, he spent the rest of his life in war. Because of his sin, he spent the rest of life with a very dysfunctional family. None of that qualifies for God's wonderful plan for David's life. And the same goes for maybe a former drug addict that comes in this room and and gives their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, they get saved and they're on fire for Jesus and they're feeling a calling of God upon their life and all of a sudden they go to the doctor and find out they got hepatitis C. And the onslaught of that disease is not a good thing to have in your life. And this is not the happy talk of, oh, this is a blessing in disguise. No! It's a tragic consequence of the past actions. Actions now that the new believer regrets because he did drugs. Actions that have been forgiven because of God's grace and mercy. But actions that he has to pay for in this life unless God steps in and miraculously heals him. So the beauty and the promise of Romans 8.28 is not that the progression of the drug addict's disease will eventually prove to be a good thing. The blessing of promise 8.28 is no matter how bad things get in our life, God still has an ultimate and eternal purpose in this life and it will not be foiled by the worst of plans. Are you hearing me? So the first thing in your notes is those that assume that everything that happens has God's fingerprints all over it fail to distinguish. There's a big difference of what God allows and what God causes. What God permits and what God prefers. And the Bible makes it clear that there are a number of scenarios number of scenarios where the Trials of life that we go through have nothing to do with God's wonderful plan for our life. Let me just give you a few. Number one, I don't want you to blame God. Don't blame God. Don't blame God for what, Pastor? Second thing in your notes, don't blame God for self-inflicted wounds. Because, see, sometimes in our life, the trials and the hardships that we face 
are the result of our sinful choices. Our sinful choice, that's not God's doing. That's your doing. Right? For example, a Christian family loses their home to foreclosure. After the pastor talks with them, he finds out why they're losing their home due to foreclosure. What they did is they took out a loan for their house that they couldn't afford. Why did they take out a loan for their house that they couldn't afford? Because the broker and the real estate agent said, just pad your income a little bit. Everybody's doing it. So they lied on their application. Then the economy failed. A friend, a Christian friend, steps forward and says, Oh, don't worry. You are in God's hands. He will not let you down. You might lose your house, but surely, just surely I am confident that God has something better for you in mind. That's happy talk. That's false comfort. Why is that false comfort? Lean in. Let me, let me share something with you. You ready? The family lied. The Bible says all liars are going to... Well, we won't talk about that. But, but they got caught up in the lie. And when they got caught up in the lie, the lie caught up to them. God did intend for them to have something better in mind. But for this case, it wasn't a nicer house. God's better for their life was... Y'all ready? Lean in again. Was honesty. That was God's better plan for their life. God's better plan was telling the whole truth, even when it was inconvenient for them. So having failed to live up to God's plan A, they were now to force to live with the consequences of God's plan B. But if you're going to do something sinful, don't raise your fist to God and blame Him for your self-inflicted wound. Are you with me? All right, let's move on to the next one. Don't blame God for letter B, life in a fallen world. Some things happen because we live in a fallen world. All of us in this room, I don't care who you are, how close you are to Jesus, we're all susceptible to the backwash of Adam's sin. It's unavoidable, it's universal, and it hits everybody. That's why I don't think it's coincidence that the very first story in the Bible is the story of somebody getting killed. It begins to show us the law of first mention that, you know what, bad things happen to good people. We live in a fallen world and bad things will happen to good people. Why? Because bad people do bad things and good people get hurt. Then if you don't like the fallen world, then brace yourself, baby, because then there's mother nature. Mother Nature has been on a war path ever since Adam sinned. And if you notice, she's not in a good mood. Ever since he bit the forbidden fruit, guess what? It snows in Nebraska when it shouldn't. (laughs) Tornadoes come over the bluff and destroy people's homes. If you listen to the news long enough for a year, you'll notice that she is on a world path and she's a little mean girl. And then she has a cousin and his name's Murphy. We know it is Murphy's Law. He is unleashed, uninvited, but he comes regularly just to mess up your life. Adam knew him as the weeds in the garden. We just know him as Murphy's Law. That is why the reason when I get in this line, because I think it's going to go faster, that line goes much quicker. (laughs) 
That person picked the one thing that didn't have a tag on it and the incompetent person at the register. Price check. And it's like, oh my God. And then I get in this line and all of a sudden that line moves faster. Does it just happen to me? Or then I'm late to appointment. It's not one train, baby. It's two. And for every red light, it turns red. And somebody programmed it to go longer for my life. I got issues. Pray for me. But see, we can't downplay the universal impact of the fall. Are you hearing me? And the worst assumption is, is that once we become a Christian, we're all of a sudden in this magic little protection bubble. (laughs) No! The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Are you hearing me? So, so this is what I love. Don't miss this. In your notes, when it comes to consequences of the fall, we aren't offered immunity. Oh, baby, we're offered eternity. And I'll take eternity over immunity every time. Because when I'm in eternity, I've got immunity. Amen? <laughs> Amen. So don't blame God. Next one. Don't blame God for your foolish decisions. That's another reason stuff happens. So yeah, things happen for a reason. Is because some of us, including me, are dumb as a box of rocks. These aren't foolish decisions. These are just dumb ones. You know what I'm talking about? Have y'all ever made a dumb decision? Welcome to Northfield Church where the pastor calls you all dummies. Look, I've been there. Lord knows, Carrie can tell you, I've made some dumb decisions. Either we failed to check out the facts, or now we failed to check out the Google reviews and now we're in a place that's a dump, or or, or we failed, somehow we we took two and two and we got 132. I just don't know how it happens, but sometimes we can make dumb decisions. And no matter how it happens, or no matter even why it happens, once we made the boneheaded decision, bad stuff's going to happen. Young people look at me. Choices matter. Choices have consequences. Listen to your parents. They are wiser than you, even though you think you're smarter than them. All your parents start poking your teenagers right now, okay? But, but bad choices, guess what? You can pick a wrong stock and it'll wipe out your entire portfolio because you made a bad choice. Picking the wrong business partner can cause the business to fail. Right? Picking your nose will lower your social status. So so don't make a bad decision. So look, it's ludicrous to blame God or to even assume that He's just going to jump in and fix every idiotic decision that we make. Okay. In fact, the Bible, let, let, let's just look at 19, uh, Proverbs 19. It's not on the screen, I don't think, but Proverbs 19, 2 and 3. Watch this, because this is good. One, one and two. One, two and three. Let's just do two and three. Let's just read the whole Bible today, shall we? It's all, it's all good. I, I, I quote this all the time. I've quoted many young pastors and many people, I always say, zeal without knowledge will get you in trouble. Guess where I found that? 19.2. It is not good to have zeal without knowledge, nor to be hasty and miss the way. A man's own folly, or better yet, Pastor Kylie's version, a man's own stupid decision ruins his life. But watch this. Yet his heart rages against the Lord. You may 
decision and now you're like, God, where are you? The Bible says it's going to happen. And that's why I'm telling you, don't blame God. Don't blame God for a foolish decision. Where am I? Okay, the good news is this. The good news is it's not that God promises to keep you from crazy decisions. It's not God that's going to fix everything that we break. In your notes, God will continue to work for our eternal good no matter how many foolish judgments we make. Now the next thing in your notes is why is this so important? Why is it so important to have accurate theology? Why is it so important to understand that, you know what, this verse is is a little convoluted and if I'm not careful I could do this happy talk. The belief that God is the direct cause of everything that happens and He has a specific reason and a specific blessing behind the good things and behind the bad things. In your notes, the urban legend is not only untrue, but it has the potential to produce great spiritual harm. And here are just a few things that I noticed in this church and in this community that it has caused. Letter A, probably the biggest one, is anger at God. When we pin everything, good and bad, on God, it will lead you to unjustified anger at God. Most of you know, matter of fact, I believe there's some people in this church right now that at first you didn't want to have nothing to do with Jesus, you didn't want to have nothing to do with the church, you didn't want to have nothing to do with God. Why? Because of an injustice in your life and a great tragedy in your life, which you were told everything happens for a reason, which you blame God for. Look, when we proclaim that God is the direct cause of everything that happens, in your notes is um, we unintentionally hand the enemy some powerful ammo. We can unintentionally hand the enemy some powerful ammo. When we think everything happens for a reason and God is behind it, and we have that theology, or we have been told that and it is set in our life, the enemy will use that every chance he can get. And his argument is always the same. If God is responsible for your mess, then he is not a good God, and obviously he's not a powerful God, so why waste your time following a God like And it's an accusation that probably some of you in this room have heard. In your mind. You have suffered from a saddened situation. You've lost a loved one. Something tragic has happened. A heavy burden of injustice that was done by somebody else. Or the oppressive weight of a tragedy over your life. Yet ironically, the enemy is whispering in your ear. And now we have two camps. We have the one camp that that because they believe everything happens for a reason and God is behind everything, then obviously He's not powerful. Obviously He's not loving me because He's allowing this to happen. They raise their fist at anger for God. But then you've got the happy talk. It's like, oh, no, no, everything happens for a reason. If you wait long enough, everything will be good. So you have two opposing viewpoints and it's like, what the stink is the right one? Here's this person angry at God. Here's this person just happy, 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 happy. We've got the everything will eventually turn out good crowd, and we've got the crowd that God cannot be trusted. See, and that's what happens when we interpret that scripture wrongly, is don't be surprised when you're angry at God. Are you hearing me? 
So why is this so important? Not only does it make us angry at God, but if you're not careful, the next thing in your notes, it will gloss over sin. If I just assume that God ordained everything in my life, and everything's just going to be good in the end, guess what? I can do whatever I want to. Right? Because let's be real, in your notes, there's no reason to fear sin or its consequences if everything comes out in the wash. I can do this. It's all going to work together for the good. Woohoo! I'll have an affair. God will work it out. Talking about affair, people that believe this, I have literally heard. Pastor, you know, after the affair, I realized that this was God's plan because now I'm living happily ever after. I've been told, oh, Pastor, you don't understand. God caused that church to split because it birthed this dynamic ministry. Hmm. God was behind that murder. Really? Why? Why do you think that? Oh, the murderer went to jail, and now he got saved in jail, and he's leading a worldwide ministry. Oh, really? That doesn't make sense to me. Because the next thing in your notes, all of that thinking is nonsense because God never approved the people's sin. He didn't cause it. He didn't use it. Now, you can say God overcame it, Because that's what grace and mercy does. In your notes, God never approved of people's sin. He does not cause it. He does not use it. But He is a big enough God that He'll work in these things and He will overcome it because of His mercy and because of His grace. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? The next thing in your notes is irresponsibility. Do we got Proverbs 22, 3 up there? The prudent... See danger and take refuge. But the simple, simple are, are basically fools, keep going and pay the penalty. Look, when we take this, this spiritual lie that everything happens for a reason and God is behind everything, when we take it to the extreme, it can cause us to have an epidemic irresponsibility problem in our life. Because after all, God guarantees that everything will eventually work out for the good, right? No matter what. So who cares what I put in the equation? God will patch it up. He has to. He promised. Pastor Romans 8, 28. Boom. And I've watched people have that thinking. I've watched people that had the pattern of that ridiculous thinking. Now, they, they conveniently label it spiritual talk of, oh, it's a step of faith, Pastor. Yeah, but most of the time that so-called step of faith, okay, Maybe that was taking a huge financial risk. Maybe that was ditching your career and moving halfway across the country to go into a ministry. Had nothing to do with you following God. It had nothing to do. God didn't told you a specific thing. Matter of fact, like the fool in Proverbs, you ignored all the warning signs. You ignored your mama when she said, I don't feel good about that, baby. You ignored the advice of the friends that say, you know, there's just something about this that I don't feel right about. You ignored the wisdom because the Bible says there is wisdom and a multitude of counsel. But instead, since of your irresponsibility, oh, God's just going to work out everything for me for the good, and it didn't work, now you're mad at God because God didn't bail you out. And sadly, you're railing against God, but you missed it. 
you miss the warning signs. So in your notes, it wasn't God's fault for not coming through of your big step of faith. It was your fault for running through the warning signs that would have caused any sensible person to stop. Are you hearing me? Let's go ahead and call up the musicians. Next one in your notes. It'll be a long close again. I just like music behind me. Misplaced hope. Y'all getting anything? Okay. This is another downside, and I'm going to give you an example. It's a true one. The expectation that everything happens for a reason, God is behind everything. When we're faced with something long-term suffering, you can have misplaced hope. For example, there was a mother of a, a, a severely handicapped child that, that he every day, every day he would have a life-threatening seizure. Every single day. So she tries to find some hope in this. So, so theologically, she, she is correct that God is not the direct instigator of what's happening in my son's life. He, he did not put this on my son. But she tries to find hope. And, 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 it, and it began to give her purpose. It began to give her meaning. And it also began to give her strength. That she thought that this was God's plan for her life. For her son to be this way. But one day she comes into the pastor's office. And the deep, dark, gut-wrenching pain started to come out in the pastor's office. She's sobbing and she's crying and she yells out, why hasn't he fixed this? Pastor, I can't, I can't take it anymore. I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed. Why doesn't he answer? But see, she comes in the office and she's armed with the conviction that her son's condition was not God's doing. And since it was not God's doing, somehow, for it to be a good thing, I'm banking on this earthly miracle. So in your notes, you got to learn to always place your hope in the eternal inheritance. See, if she would have just placed her hope in the internal inheritance that she would receive and one day her son would receive, she wouldn't have gone through the emotional pain. Yeah, maybe because of her son and all that, but she wouldn't have gone through the emotional pain of theologically being skewed because she was caught in an emotional conjury. As long as she didn't see God as the direct cause of her son's seizures then there would be a possibility for him to stop the seizures. And that she found great hope. Maybe a miracle will happen one day. But if he was working all things together for the good and my son doesn't get healed, then God is the author of my son's private health. She was in an emotional conjury because of wrong theology. So in fact, she lived the rest of her life in great despair. 
So I guess at the end of the day, can we find comfort, Pastor, that can really a bad thing happen and and it actually turn out to be a good thing? Well, obviously there are some situations where God takes a bad thing and produces something good. Just look at Jesus' crucifixion. It was horrific. It was bad. But in the end, it turned out to be a phenomenal thing. Another, they're peppered throughout the Bible. Another one was the misfortune of Joseph. And his rise to power in Egypt. God in that situation was obviously at work. Obviously at work. Behind the scenes. When when, when Joseph was auctioned off by his brothers. He was falsely accused of raping somebody. He was jailed. He was excited about early release. They did not ever bring him up for parole. He lived in jail for a long time. But finally... Somebody had a dream and he could interpret it. And he rose up into power. And even Joseph's brothers eventually came and asked him for mercy for the despicable act of selling him into slavery. Because of their sin, there was an action because of it. But he responded with some famous words. And I, and I think we got to look at them carefully. He says, you intended this for my harm. But God intended it for my good. To accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. And most of us will run to this scripture and say. See, see, see. Everything works together for the good. I've got support for the notion that I believe it. You're just a crazy pastor. No. Because notice with me. He he does call his brother's actions. Evil. He doesn't call them good. He doesn't call them necessary. I don't even really see him saying everything happens for a reason. He simply pointed out that the work back then, despite of the evil actions, that God worked in the situation to bring about this event. How is he able to say that? With hindsight vision. See, church... It's easy for years down the road for him to see the brother's sin to place him in a position that he was in the high post of Egypt's royal court. But watch this. In the process, yes, God provided food. In the process, Joseph's fathers and Joseph's brothers were were, were placed in a setting where now they were a small nomadic uh, clan that, that grew into the great nation that we know of Israel. But nowhere in the Bible do I find that there was any indication that Joseph drew strength from knowing that all things happen for a reason. He said it after the fact, after discernment. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that he looked to this scripture for comfort. But what it does show about Joseph's life is he lived a life of integrity. Even after he endured the injustice of his brother. There was no underlying belief that God had something special for him when he was thrown in the pit. Joseph had no clue. 
But what he did know is that righteousness, when he chose the path of righteousness, every time, even though people were evil to him, he chose obedience, he chose righteousness, and he knew that that would be rewarded because that was the command of God through Moses, that if you are obedient, there will be blessings. If you're disobedient, there will be cursing. He chose obedience every time. And he knew that his obedience would either be blessed in this life or the life to come. The fact is, church, I want you to get this in your notes. The last thing. Take this to the bank. Live with it. Just as it is for Joseph, it is for you. It is nearly impossible for us to distinguish which of the painful events in our life, when we are in them, to distinguish Is this God orchestrating this? Is this God planning this? Or will he just simply overcome this? And look at me, in the meantime, it doesn't really matter. Every hardship, every heartbreak, everything calls for the same response. It calls for obedience. We are to do the right thing as followers of Jesus Christ, no matter what the outcome is. And sometimes, as in the case of Joseph, our obedience will be rewarded in this life. Sometimes it will be rewarded in the next, but only time will tell. It's hard to discern in the midst of it. And then I know what some of you are going to drive home and think, well, why didn't Pastor bring up, if God is going to just fix things someday, then why don't he just do it now? (laughs) You know, Pastor never brought up that. If God is a good God and He wants everybody to be blessed, why doesn't He just step in and take charge? Why doesn't He just shut down all the evil in the world, be done away with it? Why does He sit back and allow somebody that He knows it's going to be a defeated foe in the end to be the prince and the power of this age? Why does He let the devil run loose? You want to know why? The answer is straightforward. I love all of you, and I want him to come back too. But as God lingers, and God tarries, and God waits, and God delays, more and more of his enemies are going to become his friends and become our family. And that's why I stand up here to lead one Lord in Jesus Christ. I get excited about saves. I get excited when people give their life to Jesus. And theologians will argue with you about how the end times is going to work and the logistics of it all and when he's going to return and how he's going to show up. But they're all going to agree when he's done, the enemy will be done away with, evil will be done away with, and everything's going to be hunky-dory. Amen? Satan will be bound. They will all agree on that. But here's the deal. If he comes right now, no second chances. So you got to ask the question, do you really want him to come back and take charge tomorrow? Because if he does, your sister that doesn't serve the Lord is going straight to hell. Your husband that you've been praying for to come in this church will be going to hell. Because once he comes back, he's done. So every day that Jesus is holding off and holding off, He gives my friends and your friends and my family and your family one more opportunity, one more day of breath to submit to His reign and give their life to Jesus. Are you hearing me? So in the meantime, I'll gladly put up with Mother Nature.
I'll raise my fist to Murphy when I'm behind the red light. I'll gladly to be the first to say I'm dumb, I made a wrong decision, and I'm paying for it. But I'll never blame God for it. And apparently right now, because all of us aren't in heaven, he feels the same way. And he's going to keep holding off until the number of Gentiles comes into the church, and then he'll take us. So when we go out of here today, you can look for a silver lining, or you can follow the path of obedience. Because one thing I've noticed, look, those who insist that God directly orchestrates everything and ultimately good's going to come out of this, they spend a lot of time looking for the silver lining. They're, They're the wackadoodles that look up and say, can't you see that elephant and giraffe and that smiley face? And you're like, no, I can't. Now, if you ever see, I'm not calling you a wackadoodle. I see them all the time too, okay? I'm right there with you, wackadoodle camp. But here's the deal, is is sometimes we, we search for the silver lining. We try to search for the good behind everything that is happening. And, and I understand why as somebody that, that's trained in, 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 in counseling is emotionally and, and psychologically, yeah, it may appear to do us good. It'll give us a positive outlook. I agree with that. But if we're always looking for the silver lining, it can be misleading. That in the end, we're disappointment. In the end, we're disillusioned. Because the harsh reality sets in and nothing good's coming out of it. It's up in the end when I die and go to heaven. So when life falls apart, trust me. Listen to me. I know you've tuned me out because there's no more notes and you put them all up. But far better than a silver lining, it's always the path of obedience. The path of obedience takes the high road every time. It tells the truth even if it brings pain in your life. It refuses to return evil to evil for evil and allow God to take vengeance. It's thankful when there's nothing in your life to be thankful for. It walks out of here in integrity when nobody else in this community does. It does the right thing even when the right thing is not going to work out so well for you. So bottom line, God hasn't promised that everything will work out in your life. But he has promised that no matter what happens in your life, he will never leave you nor forsake you. Remember this, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how much the enemy throws your way, he will never be able to thwart the eternal plan of God over your life. Every head bowed and every eye closed.